Hello, everybody, and welcome to 30 Minute Thrive, your go-to podcast for anything and everything HR, powered by MRA, the Management Association. Looking to stay on top of the ever-changing world of HR? MRA has got you covered. We'll be the first to tell you what's hot and what's not. I'm your host, Sophie Voller, and we are so glad you're here. Now it's time to thrive. Well, we have learned many lessons these past few, few years, but one of the most important lessons is that it pays to be prepared. So for this podcast episode, we're going to help you prepare and be recession ready. And while we are not saying that you need to be ready right now, whether a recession hits later this year, next year, or whenever, it's just best to have a plan in your back pocket. So today we are joined by Amy Wittenberger, HR business advisor and subject matter expert from our MRA hotline, and Susan Abler, Member Relations Advisor and Director of Outplacement, who will help us take a look at some what-if plans along with the tough questions, if and when it might come time for reductions in your workforce. So one of the best ways to be recession-ready is really to prepare now by optimizing your workforce. And optimizing your workforce now helps you focus on long-term success so you will come out stronger after a recession. So Amy, let's start out by asking, do you have any suggestions for companies seeking cost-saving opportunities within the workforce? Yeah, I do. In fact, um, just recently at one of the roundtables I facilitated for MRA for our HR group, we talked about this exact topic, just, you know, cost savings, you know, ideas. Some of the things that came up in our conversation um, were first, you know, um, is get everyone involved. So saving money, having great ideas, you know, challenge all your employees to participate in this and help the company um, and reward them, you know, when they have great ideas for saving money. So get your employees involved. Um, and then next, one of the things that we talked about um, is the whole idea of scheduling and time camp, timekeeping, because that's kind of the thing that kind of falls off our radar that can that can cost the money. We don't even know it. You know, for example, there are times um, in timekeeping where minutes add up to hours and weeks and months and can add up to thousands of dollars. For example, when we have employees that tend to be those that um, are tardy for work and tardy, you know, fairly often. Um, often we pay those people for those, you know, six, seven, eight minutes that they're late. And then over time that can add up to a thousand dollars, you know, in a year. And if you multiply that by several employees, it can be a significant cost to the company. Other things that come with timekeeping, you know, include looking at things that cause last minute changes, which then causes overlap in work or people to put in extra time or overtime. So look at reasons why um, there is changes in schedule, whether it's employees that that are calling in, or if it's things that are you know happening on the process side of things. And look at you know how you can prevent those types of things. Then there's also optimizing schedules. So if you're a company that has multiple shifts, um, look at um, how much overlap you have between employees and shifts. Sometimes it's fairly common to um, overlap an hour, but do you really need to overlap an hour? Can you reduce it to half an hour, even 15 minutes to get really efficient? Um, other, th- other things that we can look at, you know, is, you know, look at ourselves within HR. You know, a very common call that I get is um, what happens when we overtime, overpay employees. Um, and that can happen for various reasons. You know, the wrong data gets plugged into your HRIS and they're paying them the wrong rate or the wrong premium. Um, and the first thing I say is, you know, it's absolutely okay 
to recoup those funds. A lot of, a lot of companies don't realize that they can um, and and that they should. Um, the second piece is, is I would you know be taking time to really audit your systems to make sure data is correct um, so that you can prevent overpayments in the first place. Yeah, great. Yes. Absolutely. Well, kind of digging deeper, and another way to look at it is capacity strategies. So how can that help an organization be better prepared with an agile workforce? Well, I think you kind of said it when we kicked it off. Um, but you know, the first thing that comes to mind when we think of being agile, I think of 2019 and when coronavirus hit, right? We all had to pivot and find different ways. Of, of working and getting things done. Um, and what I would stress is that all companies um, instill agility um, into their core values and, and really and bring that to the forefront in all your communications and your staff meetings and things and really learn to be an agile workforce. You know, one way of doing that is I would take your lessons from um, what you did for COVID. Mm-hmm. Take out that playbook that you had you know, and notes you took and things that you did and maybe, you know, make that more of a common function quarterly, semi-annually, maybe to look at, you know, what did we do and how can we do that again to make sure that we're being agile? One of the the biggest things that come to mind, I think, is, you know, to be agile, you have to be able to remove barriers so people can make changes and make decisions quickly. So look at your processes and your expectations in terms of how we communicate and make decisions and remove those barriers. Then there's other things, you know, one of the things I found is, you know, have your employees um, think like they're small business owners, have them think like they are a business owner. You know, if I own this business, what changes would I like to make or what I think should be made because I am close to this type of process and I know it can be done differently Um, and reward them for that kind of thinking. And then to be more agile, I think you also have to be ready for those changes. So, Think about um, people that can be cross-trained in different functions so that if you do make a change, they can make that pivot into that different role or function more quickly. Absolutely. Well, you just talked about cross-training and when considering cost cuts, it's it's essential to kind of determine where to invest limited resources. So considering building versus buying your talent, but it's also important to continue to invest in your future, even in those cost conscious times. So what suggestions do you have on ways to think strategically and plan for current and future talent requirements? I think this is so important. You know, if you think of our talent, which is our human resources, right, our people, um, let's make sure that they are currently as productive as they can be um, and agile, as I just said, which is one way. Um, but also when you think of current in talent requirements in the future, you know, I think first, let's also conserve what we have. We know that when we lose people, you know, um, in terms of retention, hiring and turnover can be really costly, right? So let's first make sure that we're conserving our people, but then let's invest in them. You know, and one way, you know, um, is to look into performance. You know, how can we make sure that they are performance optimally? Um, You know, look at maybe some of your pay philosophies in terms of pay for performance instead of a flat increase across the board. Maybe you're incentivizing those people that are are upscaling or have high potential with the company or great attitudes and really want to work, you know, through their discretionary effort to get things done. Another way of looking at your performance and making sure that we're optimizing 
our talent is like using like a nine box philosophy or even the top 10%, bottom 10% philosophies in terms of looking at, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have um, the people that are in that top right hand box, right? You want to make sure that you're continuing to challenge them um, and provide them abilities to reach higher levels and to upskill those that are in the bottom of 10 box or in the bottom 10%, you know, let's look at why and figure out, you know, is it a system thing or is it a person thing and what changes should we make to upgrade them so they're no longer in the bottom 10%. And that way you're continually upgrading your bar in terms of achieve, achievement. Um, and then lastly, invest in professional development. And I, you know, I don't think this has to be a costly thing or even a cost item. I think you know, a great way of doing this is to um, work with people in terms of providing on the job training um, or even job shadowing, you know, expose them to other people in the company or other functions in the company. You know, a great example to do this is to provide them, you know, an opportunity to sit on a, a project um, that may, may not necessarily be in their department or their function. So cross-functional exposure is a great way to provide development. Absolutely. How about communication? We've got to talk about communication and economic uncertainty. So any suggestions you have on ensuring that transparent and confident and communication and building trust among employees during this time? Well, yeah, you know, and Sophie, if you remember, we just talked about this in another podcast in terms of the importance of communications, you know, when it comes to employee relations. You know, if I think of all my years of working with people and coaching um, HR and leaders, you know, when things are going well at a company, it's probably because communications are going well. When things aren't going well at a company, it could be because um, communications aren't going well. So I think when there's times of, you know, uncertainty, I think we we definitely need to amp up our communication with our employees. Um, you know, when there's, when there's ambiguity of what's going on in a company, um, or messaging just doesn't seem to be, you know, at the level it should be for employees to understand what's going on. You know, it just makes them anxious. Um, I think they start filling in reasons of their own. Um, they, you know, it's natural for us to think the worst. Um, so I think um, in terms of communications, I think even bad news that is honest news about what's going on with the company um, is probably better than no news in this situation. Uh, but I think also it has to be, you know, increasing your touch points with employees, you know, so not just written communications, but also um, make sure that, you know, across the board, our leaders, our managers, our HR, our supervisors are having, you know, more frequent, even daily interactions with employees, um, just so that you're getting about um, and, you know, really getting the pulse of people and what's going on. Where where are they in terms of their you know level of anxiety and questions that they have you know be more personable ask what's going on um, make sure that you're not making assumptions um, and then make sure that they're not making assumptions either because they have um, the right information from the company. Sure, like Amy said, she um, went into communication a little more deeply in um, an employee relations podcast. So feel free to take a look at that one if you want to learn more tips on that. But as we talk more about talent, um, do you have any tips to keep the talent you currently have that businesses currently have or any retention strategies you might suggest um, for an organization to plan um, for or in a recession? Yeah, I think, you know, 
almost probably everything I've said so far are all different ways um, that can work towards retaining employees, you know, building that level of trust and loyalty with employees that makes them want to stay with the company, you know, so, you know, great communication, you know, both, you know, from top on down, but also that personal communication with supervisors is really key. Um, I think, you know, recognition in terms of, you know, uh, how well they're doing their jobs, things that they're achieving, accomplishing, simple thank yous. Um, and, you know, I talked about professional development. That certainly is key, you know, for those that, you know, truly do want to be challenged. Um, and just showing that confidence you have in employees when you say, hey, you know, I think you certainly have potential for this. Let's try it and, and see if you like it. Um, and then there's other things I think we also have to talk about which is um, understanding where employees are at in terms of, you know, work-life balance, flexibility, benefits, needs, because all of our lives are different. Um, you know, world of work is certainly changing and the world we live in is certainly changing. You know, you know, many of us are in that sandwich generation where we're taking care of kids or grandkids and parents or other family members. So there's so much need for, you know, different levels of flexibility at different points in our lives. And I think that can go a long way towards retention if we're, we're a little bit more flexible. How about motivation? How do you keep employees going during these uncertain times? Yeah. So, you know, mentioned ambiguity. I, th I think um, if, if, we're, if we're going to amp up our communication and get out there and be more visible with our employees, I think it's key um, in order to motivate is to really be you know, upbeat and optimistic when you're out there on the floor, you know, really leading the charge that we can get through this together. Um, and, you know, and with that, maybe provide ways or encourage them, you know, to reach out to their team members to build a cohesive team um, and, and really stress that together we can get through these things. Um, and then, you know, part of being upbeat is, you know, celebrating those wins again. So, recognizing big wins, little wins, you know, things that um, can just help people cheer them up and see the maybe the end at the light of the tunnel that you know if we if we keep ticking away we'll get through this absolutely and along with employee engagement and motivation it's also important to consider employees well-being and health during challenging times so how can employers really help in this area yeah i think everything that we we are doing we should continue doing and again maybe be a little bit more intentional about it when we know there's some uncertainty going on. So, you know, mental health health has become a bigger issue. Um, it's coming to the forefront. People are more comfortable sharing that, you know, um, I need help with it, just like I need help with, you know, my my physical issues in terms of um, benefits that are provided. So, when it, you know, when you think of um, these uncertain times, you know, people's anxiety, again, is risen, which causes, you know, some stress. Um, so things that we can do to help relieve stress are certainly going to be helpful to people um, and help them to be more productive. Um, it could be little things that we could take. Um, for example, you know, bring in a massage therapist, you know, where employees can pay $15 or $20 um, for a massage. We do that at MRA, which is really cool and awesome. Um, but you can also encourage challenges to walk a little bit more, get away from your desk a little bit. Um, you know, walking activities, you know, on breaks or lunch periods, um, maybe even send out um, links for mindfulness activities to do at your computer just to take even a two to three minute break. Studies have shown that that is helpful to people's stress levels. 
Um, and then, you know, since this is um, a, a time of, you know, inflation and paychecks are a little bit smaller, it seems, you know, maybe even having lunch and learns um, uh, with employees where they can talk or learn about, you know, budget ideas and financial concerns and maybe share with each other ideas they have for for saving money in these uncertain times. And then the last thing I think of is, you know, if there's one thing a company can do, um, which is, you know, if if people are already a little bit on edge, you know, let's make sure that we're removing any frustrations that we can with any cumbersome policies or procedures that we have um, as well. Yeah, Amy, those are all great tips. Now we're on to the tough questions, unfortunately. But let's say you've done all you can, but you're still faced with having to reduce your workforce. What are the first steps that you recommend for an organization kind of facing this? Yeah, so the first thing that comes to mind when we when you talk about employers, you know, it used to be, I think, um, when we t- we were in the midst of thinking about, you know, downsizing, um, it, it could be the thinking that, you know what, we, we can go ahead and do a layoff because I think we can rebound pretty quickly and bring those people back. Well, I don't know if that's true anymore because, you know, talent is so hard to find these days. I think we have to think a lot harder about that mentality in terms of, you know, letting people go. Um, So I think, you know, first really thinking about alternatives um, before we go that route. Um, You know, thankfully, you know, MRA has an awesome um, resource for this. You know, we have developed what we call the layoff toolkit. um, And it talks about things that you can think about before you actually think about laying off people. And some of those ideas are, you know, first look at your normal attrition. You know, so look at performance reviews, look at people's performances, you know, is there reason, you know, that some people might be naturally falling off or that we might involuntarily have them fall off because performance isn't where we need it to be. Um, Then, you know, also look at, you know, in a larger aspect in terms of voluntary retirements, you know, is that an all an option um, or providing, um, you know, a different kind of scheduling maybe for those people that could start transitioning out of a company without losing all that travel knowledge that they have, but still, you know, make it lucrative or worthwhile for them to retire, you know, in terms of finances and benefits, Um, you know, certainly looking at reduced schedules across the company. Um, So can we eliminate one, two, four, eight hours, you know, from a weekly schedule or monthly schedule, even, you know, across the board or make it, you know, a rolling schedule in terms of different um, amounts of time off? Because um, like I kind of said earlier, you know, that that hour here and there across, you know, a pretty big spectrum could add up to, you know, pretty good cost savings. Um, so look at about changing schedules, reducing schedules. Um, and then, you know, if if it's going to be a layoff, maybe it's not everyone at one time. Maybe you could think about a rolling layoff. So, you know, layoff portions or chunks of people at a time, bring them back at different times as well. Um, Because it might not be as impactful to the company doing it all at one time. And then asking for a voluntary um, furloughs or even mandatory furloughs as well for people. Um, And and that's all really good things that we can be thinking about before we, you know, have to really be faced with a full, complete downsizing or layoff. Yeah, Susan, any thoughts from you from an outplacement perspective then? 
Yeah, so I thought Amy had some really good ideas. One of the things that I suggest to employers when they're contemplating a reduction in force and outplacement is to really um, think broadly, strategically, legally, because all of those things are involved in a reduction in force. I really like HR to take an extra look at the employee list and really look at the dynamics of the current uh, makeup of the workforce. You may be surprised that you have a group of people who are nearer to retirement than you thought. So like Amy said, perhaps voluntary retirement um, might be a solution. But if you're starting to talk outplacement internally within the organization, then a lot of decisions have already been made. So think broadly and then also think about those employees that you'll be targeting and the size of that group. Two or more individuals as a group, and that has different legal consequences than just doing you know, an exit of, of one um, person. So um, letting people go is cost effective in the long run. In the short term, it's expensive because you have vacation payout, you have severance, you have benefit continuation, and you have outplacement costs. So I always like to advise employers to think about that short term and then um, long term because it is expensive. You need to be coordinating, you know, in terms of how are you going to get that company property, shutting off IT access uh, as part of a reduction in force. And then with outplacement, I would just encourage MRA members to give me a call and let's talk about the logistics. What type of outplacement you offer and how you go about that will probably be dependent upon how many um, people you're letting go. Does does it make more sense to do group workshops for the individuals? Let's say you're laying off a couple dozen people. Um, if you're laying off maybe five to 10, you might wanna offer an individual package. Outplacement tends to be offered in monthly increments. And so at MRA, we offer a one month, two month and six month program as our standard, but we can customize a program to any need or budget. And again, that's why I offer our members to have discussion with me to really figure out what a good solution would be. You know, when we talk about uh, those conversations at point of outplacement, you know, we also have to think about the, what we call the survivors, right? Um, so how do we take people, take care of the people that um, are still going to be working? Because um, it's very common that there's um, a you know, the syndrome that's called, you know, the survivor effects, they, they feel guilty that, you know, why, why did I get to keep my job and the next person lost their job? Um, so making sure that you're focusing back on those employees, help them through that, it, you know, it's part of a grief process. Um, one of the things that Susan said that made me realize I didn't mention a very important piece when it comes to outsize, outsizing groups of people is that there is, you know, state and federal laws um, that most of us are familiar with called the Warren Act, if you're letting go, you know, a sizable group or or closing down a plant, which is um, tends to be about 50 people or more, depending on the size of the company, locations of companies. Um, but we need to consider the Warren Act as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to mention, um, you mentioned about the survivors, but not only is it hard telling people they've been laid off, but you also have to worry about maintaining the productivity of the remaining team, like you said. So just kind of 
asking you to um, dig a little deeper and what does the outplacement plan really look like and any advice on how to implement it or start one? Yeah, very good questions. Um, employees are watching, so it's really important that an employer think about that. So uh, a reduction of force impacts everybody. It's an incredibly stressful situation across the board. And those employees that retain their jobs, they wanna know how their former coworkers and friends were taken care of. So outplacement is really an important way for an employer to reduce risk. It gives the employees who are losing their job a really soft landing. And it also helps an employer protect their brand. And so I think those are important starting points when an employer is considering outplacement. Think of all the good reasons to do it and to um, have that additional expense. I mean, we share the mutual goal with the former employer and that we want to get the person back to work as quickly as possible. And so an outplacement program is just so valuable in, in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the important pieces that Susan and her team plays is when if a company does provide outplacement to employees, um, that conversation where they're you know immediately handed off to a skilled person in career transition that can have that that touch point with that employee, and the employee knows that the service is available to them, and that they will have someone that can help them work through their issues, and then help them get reemployed again. Um, it certainly mitigates a lot of emotional activity or rumors that could go on. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point. Very few employers today require an employee to sign their separation agreement before outplacement can um, start. And so not all employers do that, but the vast majority do. So that's one of the um, decisions that need to be made early on with regards to outplacement as as well. The other thing that employers need to be aware of is once you send the person to us, our obligation is really supporting that individual. And in order to build rapport with that person, we have to have a trust. And a big part of the trust is them knowing that the program is confidential. And so employers need to realize that we won't be sharing information back to them about their former um, employee. Well, we've talked about a lot today. You have given great advice today, but do you, either of you have anything to kind of end with your mic drop moment or your last piece of advice that you want to give our listeners today? Well, I'll do a quick plug for outplacement. I mean, I do think it's critical. It gives the person a soft landing. Employer reduces your risk. It protects your brand. Again, employees are watching. And so you really want to take good care of these individuals and people who participate in an outplacement program do get back to work you know, more quickly and they just have a more positive state of being, which I think is really important. Mm -hmm. And I was just going to go back to my favorite word, which is communication. Um, there's so much we can do to be ready or to avoid situations, which is, you know, there's never enough communication. I don't think I've ever heard of a company over communicating. Um, it's normally, you know, the latter where our supervisors, managers, leadership, HR isn't communicating enough. Um, so communicate, communicate and communicate. Mm -hmm. 
Well, hopefully all of these great ideas will help you be recession ready if and when that comes so you can prepare your organization for success no matter what comes our way. So I want to thank both of you for being here today and sharing your knowledge with us and to our listeners. Don't forget to like, comment, and share this episode. Take a look at the show notes below. We've got all the resources you need on this topic. We've got Susan and Amy's bio and LinkedIn profiles and resources on becoming an MRA member. So thank you for tuning in and we will see you next week. And that wraps up our content for this episode. Be sure to reference the show notes where you can sign up to connect for more podcast updates. Check out other MRA episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, make sure to follow MRA's 30-Minute Thrive so you don't miss out. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next Wednesday to carry on the HR conversation.